This morning, uh, we have the gift of being able to worship with Reverend Dr. Johanna Caranacho. Uh, Dr. Caranacho is the academic dean of uh, Nazareth Evangelical College. Um, he's known as uh, the Billy Graham Scholar, Langham John Stott Scholar. Uh, he comes with a lot of credentials. He's uh, written a lot of books as well. One of the most recent ones that was published, correct me if I'm wrong, in 2020 is Reading the Gospel of John to Palestinian Eyes. Is that correct? It is. And, so, um, and he's uh, spoken and taught in various uh, places all over the world, uh, including Palestine, Israel, Egypt, Ukraine, and many, many other places. And so it's a joy to be able to worship with you. We welcome you among sermons. The scripture reading for today is from John chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. If you are able, please stand for the reading of God's word. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'm going to invite our guest preacher, Johanna Catanacho, to pray for him. Please. Let's pray together. I give you thanks, Father, for the opportunity to hear um, Dr. Johanna Catanacho. I pray that uh, you will uh, speak to us through what uh, he has prepared, what he has um, read in, in Scripture and lived and, and served in his, his homeland. Please bless his family, bless his ministry, and bless his time here in Vancouver. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, everyone. I am really privileged to be with you this morning. It's such an honor to worship the Lord with the 
followers of Jesus. I bring you greetings from the Baptist community in Nazareth, and uh, we think we are the neighbors of Jesus. <laughs> so, so we are here uh, representing them. I uh, share their greetings to all of you. I want to share with you the word of God this morning from a text that I really love. It's the wedding of Cana. Even though that we in Nazareth, we compete with Cana, you know, but uh, still gonna preach about Cana this morning. <laughs> so, uh, my sermon is titled, Changed by Jesus. Changed by Jesus. If you want to turn that on, that would be great. Changed by Jesus. And I want to, uh, I want to really share with you a few things about how Jesus changed my life, first of all. I was born in Jerusalem in 1967 during the Arab-Israeli war. And I was born exactly during the war. My mom was at the hospital. I was with my mom, of course. My dad wanted to come and pick us up, but they had to pay for the hospital. It was a curfew. He had to endanger his life to come and pick us up. And so he brought us from the hospital, and as we were entering, a bomb exploded. We were safe. We went inside, but our neighbor died on that day. Things didn't get better. I grew up in a context where we have wars every decade, two to three wars, and this has been consistent for the last 100 years. My home was on Via Della Rosa, station number eight, the way of the cross, the eighth station, and I would go out of my home, see many Christians from all over the world carrying crosses, singing, praying, but I felt that God is so far. I felt that God doesn't love Palestinians. I felt that God is the God of Israel, but not the God of the Palestinians. And as a result of this, I started developing negative feelings against religion. When I became a teenager, I decided to become an atheist. Then I declared that I'm an atheist and at the university, my first degree is in chemistry. I started advocating atheism through science, through other ways, and philosophy, and I became one of the leaders at the university advocating atheism. In the midst of my studies, I was sleeping at my home in Jerusalem, and about 3 a.m. in the morning, I had a very strange experience. I woke up, hearing the bells of churches ringing, and then the moment I opened my eyes, some kind of air going through my body, and I was not able to move my hands, not able to move my legs. I was horrified. I didn't know what I was experiencing. I tried to free myself, but I wasn't able to do it. I thought of every possible idea to free myself. It didn't work. The clock was on the wall. 
I struggled for two hours. I was very stubborn. Two hours later, I said, God, if this is from you, free me, and I promise you to look for you. The moment I said that, I was able to move again. I got up, I drank some water, and I was confused. My whole worldview collapsed in one night. I had responsibilities at the university to advocate atheism. What should I do? <laughs> and so I tried to hide from the situation and, and not to be involved in any kind of activities. And I started searching for God. Then I went to a small church in the old city of Jerusalem. And in that church, there was a speaker saying, you are a sinner and you need to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I had no problem to see myself as a sinner. And I had no problem to give God my heart. But I had a problem to give God my mind. And as I was praying, I thought, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. Lord, I know that you really exist. I give you my heart, but I can't give you my mind. I'm sorry. <laughs> I prayed that and I left. In that same week, I don't know why God chose to do it like this. I had three dreams and they were a turning point in my life. The first dream, there was a person walking and I was behind this person holding the clock of that person and very ugly faces to the right and to the left and I was horrified in the dream because all these faces were trying to attack me. The second dream, there was a transparent box like glass and all these faces were trying to come and attack me, but the box prevented them from touching me. And the third and last dream, the same person was walking, very ugly faces to the right and to the left, but this time I was not following that person, I was in his arms. And whenever I opened my eyes, I saw a face full of grace that brought peace and tranquility to my heart. When I woke up, as if someone is speaking in my ears, strong ideas dominated my mind, but there was no voice, but it's there. And it was telling me, Johanna, this is the difference between grace and deeds. If you want to follow me with your effort, you can't. But if you are in Christ, then I will carry you, and this is my gift to you. My spiritual journey was launched as I was trying to follow Jesus. And God put on my heart to start a Bible study at the same university that I advocated atheism. <laughs> God has a good sense of humor. <laughs> but, and that's how the Palestinian University student ministries started, actually. It spread in many other places later. I want to share with you about how Jesus changes things. In this story that we have today looked at, we looked at 
Jesus is really changing water into wine. As a chemist, I always wondered, you know, like how much energy does it take to change one drop of water into one drop of wine? And trust me, you know, all the energy in the world is not enough if we want to break the bones of the, the atoms in order to restructure that. It's, it's not enough, all the energy in the world. Yet God does it every year through natural processes. And Jesus is the vine in John 15. But anyway, changing water into wine, we see this really in the context of a wedding. So we need to understand a little bit about the background of this wedding in order to understand and delve into this wonderful sign. Please don't call it a miracle, it's a sign. The Gospel of John uses signs, and I will explain later what I mean by that. Now, weddings, first of all, were not done with a white dress. So, sorry ladies, if you have dreams about a white dress wedding, that's not how it used to be. In fact, my grandmother didn't have a white dress in her wedding, and in our culture, sometimes people have other kinds of dresses. So, the, the white dresses came actually later in history. I tried to Google, you know, like this idea of white dress, try to understand where did it come from. And, uh, and, you know, Philippa of England was one of the first people in the 15th century to put a white dress. And then Queen of Scots in the 16th century. And then Queen Victoria popularized the white dress. So when you read the, the story of the wedding of Cana, please don't think of a white dress. <laughs> so how can we think about it then? <laughs> well, it's weddings in the uh, first century and even today in the Middle East are big things, you know, like, you know, like uh, my wedding was small, small wedding in comparison to my neighbors. And there were 300 people in my wedding. And that's a small wedding in Nazareth. So, so when, you, when you are thinking of weddings in the first century, the whole town will be there. Your uncle will start inviting people. You know, like, so it's, it's not like a small wedding. We are talking about a big wedding. And the groom and the bride will be considered like king and queen. Like in the Greek Orthodox community today, they put even crowns when they have the matrimony. They will be considered as king and queen, and they will be treated like that. You know, like everyone will be uh, trying to tell them, what do you want? What do you need? Anything I can do for you. And, uh, and so the, usually the groom will go out with a party with the friends and they will be dancing in the street and they will be going out in the first century the groom will go to the bride's house and in order to pick her up from there so this is why sometimes in the new testament we see that the groom is late you know because the groom is trying to come usually like uh, nowadays it's the bride that comes but in the past, it was the groom who would come and pick us, pick the, uh, the, uh, the bride. And then go to the wedding place, and they will celebrate for one week. 
they will celebrate in the wedding. So, in this wedding, we have a lot of guests. And John is trying now to explain the settings of the wedding. He said, on the third day. Now, in the first century, people didn't get married on Friday or Saturday because it is the Sabbath, the Jewish Sabbath. So they, and, and in the Jewish Sabbath, you can't travel. So if you have friends or relatives that are close by and they want to t travel, you give them a few days in order to do it. So they chose to get married either Wednesday or Tuesday. And usually, if you are single, you get married on Tuesday. If you are divorced, you get married on Wednesday. Uh, seriously, this was the, the case. So and, so, and so the thing is, uh, Tuesdays are considered very special days for Jews, partly because in the book of Genesis, chapter 1, there, God said it was good twice, only on two days. On a Tuesday and on the Sabbath, on Friday. So, so it was good twice, so they get married on the good day, you know, and, and on Tuesday. So that will be like greater blessing. Now John presents this story in a context in which he wants to communicate a message with us about God. So he, 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 he talks about that in the context of the water motif the water theme in the Gospel of John. Now, some people don't observe how John is interested in water. You see, like John chapter 1, there is a water scene, the baptism. John chapter 2, there is a water scene. We see water converted to wine. John chapter 3, there is a water scene. Nicodemus being born of the water and the spirit. John chapter 4, there is a water scene. The Samaritan woman. John chapter 5, there is a pool and a water scene. John chapter 6, Jesus walks on the water. John chapter 7, whoever is thirsty, let him come and drink. John chapter 9, another water scene and another sign. John chapter 11, whoever, you know, in the feast, they have to be cleansed. Water scene. John chapter 13, you know, like Jesus is washing the feet of, of, the, of Peter and he says, unless I wash you, you have no inheritance with me. John chapter 19, they stabbed him. Blood and water came from his side. I hope you agree with me that John is interested in water. <laughs> so, so there is here a water scene that we see in this story. And in this water scene... Jesus is actually changing things. He wants to change things. Now, I want to tell you that Jesus, first of all, is changing the nature of things in order to make them a joy to the community. So I hope that Jesus can change our lives so that we can become joy to the community around us and a blessing to the community around us. But... The story of the wedding about how Jesus changes does not stop with just Jesus changing our lives and the reality in which we are sometimes located. Jesus in this wedding will change a problem into a blessing. Now let me unpack a little bit more of the backgrounds of the first century wedding because 
that is also helpful for us to understand the story. Now, first century weddings are, have so many guests. So you have relatives, you have friends, and you have some dignitary people sometimes coming. And all guests have to bring gifts. Even today, you know, like sometimes our budget in, the, in Nazareth is very difficult during the summer season because many people get married. And so we have to keep paying, you know. And, and, and some people will actually write down, like so-and-so paid $200, so-and-so paid $300. So when there is the wedding of their son or their relative, then they will go and usually they put $300 or a little bit more, $350. If they paid them, $300. So they don't want to be stingy, you know, like not paying enough. So this is how even today the culture is like. In the first century, it was similar. People brought gifts. But if you are poor, you can come to the wedding without bringing a gift. And if you are a dignitary person, then you give a big gift without expecting anything back. So if I have a billionaire coming to the wedding of my son and he gives my son like uh, a great car, I can't give them a car back in their wedding because it's too expensive for me. So, so this is the same idea in the first century. Now what is interesting, some of the people abused the system, you know, in the first century. So they went to the rabbis and they said, I went to a wedding, I brought a gift, but there is no food. <laughs> and some people thought this can be good business. They get married often and get gifts, but without getting, putting food. So now the rabbis had to discuss the solution. They said, if you go, and this is documented in the Talmud and other places, if you go to a wedding and there is no food, you can sue the groom. <laughs> and they can go to jail. Now I want you to imagine now what is happening at this wedding. This wedding is actually now is a sensitive place. They have no more wine. I don't know why. Is it because of Jesus and his friends? Is it because of too many people coming? But it doesn't tell us. All it tells us that they have no more wine. Now, of course, Jesus comes and gives a big gift. He said, you know, like, fill the jars to the brim and then taste, and he gives, you know, great wine. You know, the only thing I don't like about this story is that we think that Nazareth wine is better than Cana wine, <laughs> but let it go for, for today at least. Okay. So the thing is, he, he has like this great wine, and I googled, you know, like some great wines, and I found out that some bottles of wine, like $13,000 to $40,000, Jesus gave them 500 bottles of wine. 
So it was like a big wedding gift, you know, like in the first century, people sometimes give gifts as perfume or wine because they can stay, they doesn't go back, bad. So, but this is not the main point of the story. All of what I have said so far is actually background. So what is the main point? I'm going to come to that. But before I do that, I want to share with you another story. Jesus changes a problem into a blessing. The husband and the wife of this wedding might go to jail, or at least the, the groom would go to jail. They have no wine, they have a problem, and it's a big shame for the family not to have enough provisions in a wedding. They will talk about it for generations in such a, a century, a, you know, a country and a place in the first century. So it's a big problem. But God can change our problems into opportunities for his blessing. When I became a follower of Christ, I started reading the New Testament. I started with the Gospel of Matthew. And then I came to the Sermon on the Mount, and there it says, love your enemies. I'm a Palestinian born in Jerusalem, and I didn't need to go to a dictionary to define the word enemy. I'm an expert. I have a PhD in what enemies mean. So, so now I read the Bible, tells me, love your enemies. I closed my Bible. I said, God, I can't be a traitor. This is too hard. I was very upset with God. I left the room. I went to one of the gates of Jerusalem called Jaffa Gate, and there they have a Christian coffee shop. I went inside, and I found flyers on the counter with the title, Real Love. And it was a quotation from Isaiah 53, like a lamb being led to the slaughter. I took these flyers back to my room, closed my room, knelt down, and put the flyers. I said, God, you know I can't love my enemies, but can we make a deal? I'm going to put this flyer inside my ID card, and when an Israeli soldier will stop me, I will give them my ID card with the flyer. You know I can't love them, so I don't want to lie. I know you hate lying. So I'm going to tell them, this is how my God wants me to relate to you. So I went out, and some people, some soldiers did stop me. I gave them my ID card, and they asked, what is this? And my answer was, this is how my God wants me to relate to you. Day after day, I was every day putting a flyer inside my ID card, and almost every day I was stopped. Then I noticed that my feelings started to change. I would see Israeli soldiers and I would be praying, Lord, please let them stop me <laughs> so that I can share Jesus with them. One night I was doing photocopying for the church. We worshiped the, the Lord in Arabic, beautiful language. And 
And, uh, but the political situation was tense and many people were distributing political flyers and writing graffitis on the walls. And it was, there was a law that if you call a Palestinian and they don't stop, you are allowed to shoot them at the feet. So I was doing the photocopying. The machine that night, the photocopier, was stubborn, didn't work well. And, you know, the papers got jammed. I finished almost midnight. I had all these flyers. I put them inside my leather jacket on the pocket, in the pocket, and I was going, walking back home through Damascus Gate, one of the gates of Jerusalem. The streets were empty, it was cold, and the political situation was tense. As I was going down the stairs towards the gate, I saw three soldiers sitting at the gate. I lifted up a quick prayer and I said, God, I was doing your work and now this is my reward. I am tired. I want to go home. You know, I don't want to stop with these soldiers this night. But God has another plan. As I was going down, one of the soldiers crooked his finger. I had to respond. I approached these three soldiers. I wasn't thinking clearly. I unzipped the zipper of my jacket very quickly. They thought I'm gonna attack them. They put their hands on their machine guns and they pointed their machine guns towards my head. I wasn't thinking clearly. I put my hand on my heart and without thinking I said, I love you. They were in shock and I was in shock. <laughs> For a few moments, they didn't know what to do. It felt forever for me. But then they lowered their guns. And I started sharing with them about Jesus Christ. Love is not just a feeling. Love is a decision that we make and our love muscles grow stronger in the midst of hatred. Love is an opportunity to pursue justice with the right heart, with the right motive. It's not an alternative to justice, but it is a prerequisite for divine justice. So, so the thing is, God changes things. Jesus changes water into wine, changes a problem into a blessing. And my third and last point, Jesus changes a request into a revelation. Now Jesus, and forgive me for, for saying this in, in, in this setting, I hope you don't misunderstand me, but Jesus is a troublemaker. Many times he pushes us so that we grow, so that we are transformed. In this wedding, Jesus created a big, big problem. What is the problem that Jesus created? Now, this is, in my opinion, the main point of this text that has been missed by most commentators. He said, fill the water jars to the brim, six water jars, maybe one for every day. What are the water, what is it for? The water is for cleansing. The text tells us, right? 
Water jars for what? For purification, for cleansing. And cleansing is very important in the first century, especially for religious Jews, because they want to be accepted before God. Now, Jesus solved the problem of the wine, but created the problem of the water. There is no more water in the wedding. How are people going to be cleansed? This leads me to the discussion between Jesus and his mother. When she tells him they have no more wine, but he says to her, woman, my hour has not yet, yet come. Now, it's confusing. Is he saying yes, or is he saying no? If he's saying yes, why is he saying my hour has not yet come? If he is saying no, then it doesn't make sense. Maybe he is saying yes and no. Yes, I'm gonna solve the problem of the wine. No, this is not how I will show my glory. There is another way for me to show my glory. Now, John uses the expression sign. What is the difference between sign and miracle? Miracle is something supernatural. Sign is something that should lead you to something else. It's like a sign in the street, you know, tells you like 50 kilometers, you will get to Vancouver, whatever. So, so it's a sign. So the signs in the Gospel of John are supposed to lead us in John chapter 20, maybe verse 30, 31. It tells us that the signs are supposed to lead us to discover that Jesus is the Messiah. And that by believing in him, we will have eternal life. So how is this sign going to lead us there? By the hour. My hour has not yet come. If we follow this idea of the hour in the Gospel of John, we will see that it is mentioned many times. John doesn't want us to forget it. So let's look at them. In John 7.30, at this, they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. John 12.23, Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. John then 12.27, the same idea. Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. John 13, 1, it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave the world, to go to the Father. Then John 17, 1, it says that, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son. Glory and hour. So if you look at the idea of the hour in the Gospel of John, it is connected to the cross. It is connected to the resurrection. It is connected to the ascension. 
It is connected to the glory of God revealed in Jesus Christ. Jesus changes a request into a revelation. Many times we come and we pray and we have questions to God. But God sometimes has something bigger than our prayer. God, through kneeling down, through praying to him, God reveals to us his heart, his plan, his passion, his character. And the more we understand who God is, the more we understand that God wants to do something great. Let me finish about the change that Jesus does and tell you one last thing. I'm sorry if I, w I took too long from your time, but tell you one last thing. In Israel, sometimes the situation is very tense and there, are, there is a lot of darkness, a lot of hatred, but light is very precious in this situation. And Jesus is our light that strengthens us. One time I was very, very depressed and tired. And I went, I said, I can't continue serving in this context. It's very difficult. My wise wife told me, let us just go and pray. There is a conference in Bethlehem about prayer. So I went to the conference to Bethlehem. Didn't want to do any ministry, just to sit down, listen to the Lord and pray. And in that conference, God spoke to me. He said, how can you serve me without spending time in prayer? I am challenging you to sit with me. So I decided to wake up four in the morning every day and spend time with God. And I woke up, I said, here I am, Lord. So now what can I do? And I don't know. He said, God, I want you to pray. So I, what should I, how, how can I pray? I don't know, you know. Say, so I opened the book of Psalms. And I started reading the text and praying every verse as I read. And then God put on my heart to write these prayers. One of the prayers that I've written is this one, and I want to finish this with you. And so that you can also pray for us in the Middle East and pray that God will empower you to be light for Jesus. I said, I dream of a Middle East in which I have my breakfast in Jerusalem, my lunch in Beirut, and my dinner in Syria. I ride my car and drive to Iraq to the Gulf and I enter into Africa in the same car. I dream of a Middle East in which people choose their own religion without fear. I dream of a Middle East in which there is no bigotry, radicalism, and hatred. I dream of a Middle East in which all human beings are equal. The ones who wear a hijab and the ones who put a kofiya are equal. I dream of a Middle East in which Jews love Arabs and seek to uphold their rights, a Middle East in which Arabs love Jews. I dream of a Middle East without poverty, hatred, wars, and massacring human beings. 
I dream of peace. Peace with God and with all of our neighbors. Peace with self and the angels. I dream of a Middle East without weapons, without traffic jams, without pollution, without discrimination because of gender, religion, age, or weight. My dream is not an illusion, but a step forward as I follow Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. My dream is not something that can be fulfilled in a moment, but it is a celestial kingdom that comes through many generations and many sacrifices, prayers, and tears. Before the dawn, there is darkness. Before joy, there is the victory of sadness. Before laughing, weeping dominates. Before the dominance of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of the devil dominates. O Lord, may your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May your kingdom come through my words, thoughts, decisions, and relationships. Turn me into a peacemaker. I want to pray for you. God put on my heart as I was sitting to pray for you before I finish my sermon. So I'm going to close my eyes and I want to pray for you. And if any of you here in this place feel you need a special prayer, please stand in your place and put this before God. The Lord is here in this place. It's not just a meeting. It's a encounter with God. I challenge you, if you have a prayer, stand in your seat and let us all lift a prayer. The ones who are sitting, pray for the ones who are standing. Don't feel shy. Come to the Lord and the Lord will honor your heart. Don't feel pressure as well. We will pray for you anyway. But if you feel you really want to declare your faith before the Lord, stand in your place and let us pray. Father, thank you because you are such a sweet and great God. We are unworthy, Lord. We don't deserve your response, but we beg for your grace. I pray for my brothers and sisters who are standing before you today. They have a special request in your presence. Father, I beg you to honor the step they are taking to declare their need publicly before you. Honor them. Fill them with your glory, with your presence. Touch their hearts and answer their prayers, Lord. Thank you for this church, for its ministers, for the opportunity to honor you today. Lord, may your name be glorified in our every day, every moment, and in every decision. Bless us in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to the First Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. For more sermons and information about our church's services and programs, please visit firstbc.org.